Well, greetings. It is good to be together with you. For those of you who are on the live stream, my name is Julian Freeman, and I pastor Grace Fellowship Church just a little bit south of here down in Toronto. And I do bring greetings from our church. We pray for you guys regularly when we gather to pray as a church. We thank the Lord for you, for the progress of the gospel through you. Uh, we rejoice in knowing that the Lord is at work building his church here in Markham through you. And we thank God for you. Uh, we want to turn our attention now to the gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, the text that you just saw in the video, of chapter 5, verses 13 To 16. I'm going to read that text for us and pray, and we will get into the word together. So, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, this is what Holy Scripture says You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Please pray with me. Father God, this is the word that you gave to your son to speak to us, that you inspired and kept, you've preserved by your Holy Spirit, and you have delivered to us thousands of years later today, not so that we could have heads that are a little bit more informed, a little little bit smarter, a little bit better equipped. You have given us your word so that we would be a people who are transformed. We want our hearts changed. We want our lives reoriented and redirected, and we can't do it. Only you can. So we come before you and ask, Father, change us through your word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I wonder if you've ever woken up in the morning and thought, what's the point? What's the point? Why am I here? It might seem a little bit of a dark question to start with. You say, well, maybe that's the type of question that only non-Christians should ask. But if we're honest, it's the type of question that we ask even with regard to our own Christian experience sometimes, isn't it? Why am I here? Why did the Lord save me? What am I supposed to do? Especially when you go through seasons like this, seasons like covid where you think, well, I'm a Christian, so I can serve the church. And you try to sign up for ministries, or you try to belong in groups, or you try to take courses, but it just doesn't feel like it's clicking. There's no opportunity to serve. It feels like you're disconnected. What use am I, even as a Christian, even in my own church, in the body of Christ? I feel like an appendix. I have, I have no function. And then what about the church? You say, well, at least I belong to a church. But the church in our culture, in our day and age, is not hard to see. It seems like the church itself is losing its voice or losing influence, at least in terms of how the culture views us. So, so man, what's the point of me as a Christian? What's the point of the church? 
it can get a little bit depressing. And it can, it can encourage us in some ways to withdraw, especially when you combine that thought, the what's the point thought, with, with the reality that you know what our culture is saying about Christians right now. If, if you were to, you know, sort of come out on, on social media and say, hey, I'm a Christian and try to explain the gospel to people, a lot of people would kind of, rather than following you, they would probably unfollow you. Or they'd say, like, what does that mean? Does that mean you're a Trump supporter or something? Like, this, this does not win you any kind of friends or social clout in our cultural moment to tell the world that you're a Christian. So now you combine these thoughts, what's the point, and then I'm going to suffer loss for coming out as a Christian, so, so then what should I do? And the temptation just mounts, the temptation builds, and it weighs on us. Maybe I should just shrink back. Maybe I should just do my life. I'll just, you know, you do you, I'll do me. I'll just do my own thing over here, and I'll try not to stir the pot, I'll try not to rock the boat, I'll try not, I'll just, I'll just be here. Functionally, we end up living like Jesus made a mistake. Like, like as if somehow he saved us. You know, we heard the gospel, the good news that Christ was crucified for our sins, that he rose on the third day, and that if we put our trust in him, we have a promise of forgiveness of sins and eternal life with him. And we think, oh man, that's great. So we believe the good news, but from that moment on until the moment when we actually get to be with him in heaven, all the rest of this is just somehow a mistake. Like as if somehow the king of the universe couldn't magically take us to heaven in an instant if he wanted to. We miss the truth, the reality that the king of the universe could take you to heaven right now if he wanted, but he's left you here, not because he's powerless, but because there is a point. There's a purpose to why you are here right now. And as Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount addresses these first disciples of his, he is saying to them, you have a purpose. There's a reason why you are here. We're going to think about that together in the time that we have today. But I want to be clear from the outset that the purpose that I'm describing is a purpose that's for followers of Christ. People who, like I said, have heard the good news that that we had a debt that we could not pay, that we had earned for ourselves in our rebellion, in our treason against God, against our king. We had earned for ourselves wrath, that we deserved the wrath of God, but Jesus died in our place to take that wrath, to pay the price that we couldn't pay, so that everyone who trusts in him has the promise of eternal life. This is great news. So I'm talking to people who have heard that message turned away from sin, stopped living for themselves, and they want to follow Jesus, live for Jesus, we've placed our trust in him. I'm talking to those people with a purpose. If, if you are here today and that doesn't yet describe you, understand that the purpose and all the glory of it and all the wonder of it that I'm describing is not for you. You have to keep looking for an explanation that's somehow going to satisfy you as to why you're here. You, you can't have our reasons. And I, I hope, in, in one sense, I hope that the reason you find is, is somehow satisfying, deeply satisfying in some sense, because this is all you've got, is what you have in this life here and now. What I'm describing for Christians, I want you to understand, is this. We have the hope of eternal life, and in the middle, in the interim, before we die, we have been redeemed, we've been purchased, we've been repurposed, we've been given a purpose, a point, 
So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to listen in because I want you to understand that your life too could have meaningful purpose and a mission from God himself. This, if we understand it, what Jesus is laying out for us changes everything. Why does our king still have us here? Here's the first way we answer that from this text. Your king has you here. Here's the reason. To be salt and light. Your king has you here to be salt and light. Look at verse 13 of Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. For it to be no longer good for anything means that at one point it was good for something. At one point it was intended for something. What does Jesus mean when he says if salt has lost its saltiness? I'm not scientifically inclined. I dropped science the exact second I was allowed to in high school. Um, But I read somewhere that salt is a stable compound, which apparently means that salt can't actually lose its saltiness. But what Jesus is referring to is probably something like this. In Jesus' day, um, the way that they would get salt in that part of the world, it was actually drawn out of salt marshes. And if it was done wrong or used wrong, it could be diluted so that the salt, once it's diluted, no longer functions properly as salt is intended to. And when it doesn't function the way salt is intended to, it becomes as good as dirt to be thrown out and trampled on. But for it to be no longer good for what it was meant for means that it was meant for something. What was salt Meant for. In Jesus' day, you remember they had no refrigerators, no way of preserving food. And Jesus is speaking in the region of Galilee. He's speaking to a group that and many of them would have themselves been fishermen. And they would have primarily used salt for this type of purpose. If you want food to not decay, particularly your fish, if you want them to not start rotting before you get them to market, the way you do it is you can take salt and you can rub it into the meat. And as you apply the salt to the meat, it slows the decay of the meat. So when Jesus says, I'm leaving you here as salt, one important piece of background information you need to understand, if, if the image is to work, is this. Jesus is saying, I'm leaving you in a world that is decaying. I am leaving you in a world that is prone to putrefaction. <laughs> this is the reality. It is going to rot. This is the world that I'm leaving you, but I am leaving you in this world as salt to slow the decay of a world without hope apart from you. And, and it's, it's great. I love how down-to-earth Jesus is as he gives these types of illustrations. I mean, you can picture this, right? Any one of us can picture this. Every one of us has had that experience at some moment in our lives where we've like opened the fridge and it's like, oh, there is something Something has been in there a little too long. Or, or you go to pick up a fruit off the counter and it's been there a little bit too, it's squishy or something's growing on it, you know? And next time that happens and you look at it and it's squishy or it's growing something, just remember this is a picture of what sin does. This is a picture of what the world is prone to. Everything in the world is going this direction, Jesus says. This is why you are here. You are here to be salt and to slow the decaying process of this world. But notice... For the salt to work, it must come in contact with that which would decay. There's got to be proximity. It's got to touch. You've got to come close and rub up against 
the outside world to be of any use. Jesus continues in verse 14. He says, you're not just salt, you're light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. People light a lamp. That is a deliberate action. And what does it do? It gives light. And Jesus describes the purpose. So that they may see. Here's the reality again. Light cannot be dark. As long as light exists, it cannot be dark. It is light. If you try to cover a light, in in Jesus' day, this would have required a a fire because you don't have electricity. If you try to cover it, whatever you cover it with is either going to put the fire out, so it puts the light out, or else it's going to catch on fire and you've got a bigger light. But as long as the light exists, it gives light. That's exactly why it is given, so that people would see. There's a reason why in a room like this, the lights are placed up high or around us. They're placed specifically where they are on purpose to put the light on what it is that we're supposed to see. When you leave here and you start driving down the highway, you're going to see lights placed way up high. And the reason why they're placed there is not by accident. It's on purpose. It's to give light so that you can see the road. You can see where you're supposed to go. Again, Jesus, the background here, he's saying, I'm leaving you in a world that is dark. It's a world that is decaying, and it's a world that is dark. But you are light. You are here for a purpose. This is not the first time light has been used in this kind of a way in the Bible. I love this passage in Isaiah chapter 49. It's one of the famous servant songs of Isaiah. So 700 plus years before Jesus is born, Isaiah gives this series of prophecies about the coming Messiah, about Jesus, who would come to be this servant who would save his people. And in Isaiah 49, he's described this way in verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. It's too light a thing for you just to save the nation of Israel, my covenant people and that old covenant. But he says this, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Here's the promise. Jesus himself is going to be the light that shines to all nations by which all people can be saved. But there's this remarkable turn as Jesus begins his ministry. He says, not only am I the light, but you, my people, my disciples, the one who are following after me, you will be my lights now to the ends of the earth. To go and make disciples of every nation. So that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 and verse 8 says this. At one time, you were darkness. That's what you were. You were a part of this world that is prone to darkness, that dwells in darkness, that lives in darkness. You were darkness. But now, in Christ, if you've trusted in him, you're this new creation. But now, you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. 
We are here to exist as light shining in the darkness of this world. Light in scriptures is symbolic of revelation, of truth, of justice. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, Paul says to Timothy. It's by coming to see the light of truth that other people will be saved, that the ends of the earth will be saved. Now, it's important to stop and kind of process this for a minute because some of us hear this and we think, okay, I, I would like to be salt or light. I would like to be salt in the sense that um, you know, I can live my life and I can try to walk in obedience and I'm going to try to be a good neighbor, a good employee, a good boss. I'm going to try to be a good citizen, good husband, good wife, good son, good daughter, whatever. I'm going to try to do that and be good and live obediently to scriptures. But I'm not a light kind of person. I'm, I'm, I don't have all the answers to people's questions. I don't know how to explain the gospel. I won't do the talking. I'll just do the living. And then there's other ones of us that are like, no, I'm, I'm a light person. So my life may be in shambles. And actually my life kind of looks like a disaster, like darkness and decay. But I know all the answers. So I'm going to tell everyone around me all the things that they need to know. And we try to function as light without being salt. But Jesus says you are salt and Light. Now here's, here's the catch with this as we understand this. Jesus describes the light and, and he gives this parallel example of a city that's set on a hill that can't be hidden. And, and, and this is, there's, there's a catch with this. Because a city set on a hill could be really good news for a weary wanderer who's lost. Again, you're living in a day where there's, there's no GPSs, there's no cell phones. No one's walking around with maps or you know, driving down the interstate or the highway trying to find their way home. They, they, can't, they can only see at night by the lights that are provided from the cities. If you're trying to find your way back to a city, you need the light of the city to find it. So if you're a weary wanderer trying to find your way home or find a place to sleep that night, that city set on a hill is precious. But here's the thing, it is also a beacon for those who would attack it. It invites attack as well as visitors. And we know that, right? We know that as Christians. As we stand out, the more we stand out, some people might appreciate it, others won't, and we will invite opposition. So we need to understand that the result of us being light is not up to us. The results are up to the one who placed us there. We're just called to be. And leave the results up to him. But if we're going to do this and we're going to face the opposition that presumably is going to come, it's worth it for us to understand more, to press in a little bit deeper. If our king has us here to be salt and light, why? Why? To what end? To what purpose? Why is he calling us to this role, this responsibility that might include suffering for us? Here is the second thing that we see in this text. Your king has you here for the good of the world and the glory of God. 
the good of the world and the glory of God. Okay, so imagine this. So, so we go back, you know, you wake up, maybe it's Monday morning, and you wake up on Monday morning, and you open your eyes, and you look at the ceiling in your bedroom, and you think, oh, man, it's, it's, another, it's another Monday morning, and now I got to, whether it's taking care of the kids, or whether it's going back to the office, or if you're working from home, or, or whatever it is, you're getting ready for school, starting up another semester. Oh, why am I here? Here's what you can tell yourself. The king of the universe preserved me while I slept and enabled me to wake up this morning for this purpose. I exist for the good of the world and the glory of God. That is insane. Like, that is incredible. If you knew anything about how big of a a, a goof I am, you would think this guy exists for this purpose. How could this possibly be? This is the most noble purpose that I can imagine, and it's the one that the king of the universe has entrusted to us. You exist for the good of the world and the glory of God. But with that privilege comes this staggering responsibility, this stewardship. It's good for us to think about this together for a minute. Think about the words of Jesus. He says in verse 13, you are... You are the salt of the earth. He doesn't say you are salt of the earth. He says you are the salt of the earth. He says you are the light of the world. Which means there is no other salt for this world. There is no other light for this world. You are it. So if you think to yourself, I just want to keep my Christianity private. I want to keep my life between, my spiritual life between me and God. I want to keep it to myself and live quietly. Understand that you are leaving the world in darkness. You are leaving the world to decay. You are here for the good of the world. You know the message of salvation. And you can embody that message in the way that you live, in a way that others can see. If you don't do it, who will? You're the, you're the salt. You're the light. You're it. The world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. If people are going to be saved, it's going to have to be through us. And it's not just for the good of the world. It's not just the salvation of people. If for some reason you don't love people enough to think that their salvation is important, do you love God? Do you care about his glory? The one who saved you, the one who loved you, the one who has adopted you and made you his child, is it, would it be okay with you to get to your funeral and have, and have people just talk about you nicely but not say anything about the glory of God that they saw in you and through you and praise God for what he's done in your life? Don't you want to live for the glory of God, he wants you to live in such a way that people will see your life and give glory to God. Charles Spurgeon in the 19th century commented this on this passage. He said, Christ never contemplated the production of secret Christians. That was never on his mind. From the beginning, in the Sermon on the Mount, his first public sermon in Matthew's Gospel, he is calling us to shine in the darkness. But we are in a sad state in a lot of ways in the Western world right now as Christians. 
We, we look at the world around us. We look at the society around us. It is caving in. It is falling apart. There is chaos reigning in the streets in so many ways. There is injustice. There's violence. There's misunderstanding. There is corruption. All of these things. And, and we look at it and we go, what are we to do? How did this happen? How did it get to this? And we act surprised like somehow this is something new. And we try to cloister ourselves in our little Christian bubbles. And we hide our children away from the world. And we say... Let's just try to keep ourselves safe because we heard there might be persecution out there. And we think the only hope for the world at this point is if God somehow shows up and does some kind of miracle. It takes God to act. Listen, God has acted. He sent you. You are the salt and the light. You are the hope for the good of this world. World, The salt can't complain if the meat is decaying and the light can't complain about the darkness that surrounds it. That's why you are there. R.T. France commenting on this passage says, it is not enough to be different. We must be seen to be different. Not enough to be different. We have to be seen to be different. Dietrich Bonhoeffer also said this, Flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. Flight into the invisible. I just want to hide. I want to shrink back. It is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus. This is speaking of communities. You know, temptations come to communities, come to local churches as well as to individuals. So for hope as well as for grace fellowship, this is a temptation for us. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Hide yourself, you stopped following Jesus. That's heavy. Let's try to state it positively. Let's flip it around. The nobility, the nobility of the calling that we have received. Do you realize the potential for good that exists in your life? We are people who have known what it is to be found guilty before a holy God. We have mourned over our sin. We've mourned over the death of our Savior. We've mourned over the brokenness we've seen in the world, our friends and our family around us. We can come alongside those who are currently mourning in ways that the world cannot imagine. We have received a mercy like the world has never seen, and we have the opportunity to show it to them. We can speak. Listen, we live in a world that is absolutely desperate and starving and craving justice. We know justice, and we know justice is certain. It is inevitable. It will come, and we're the only ones that know that. Do you not think we have something to share with the world around us? As you live out this noble cause of sharing these truths with the world, you are fulfilling your purpose. You're called to stand out. You're called to look different for the good of the world and the glory of God. But as you hear that, maybe you think, okay, but I still struggle because to me it still feels like I'm nothing. Like I'm not important. Like I don't have the answers. Like I don't know where I'm supposed to do all of this. I don't, I don't feel like I'm sufficient for it. Uh, a little while ago, I read Martin Luther uh, on Genesis 1. He, he said this. He said, from the beginning of time... God has made a habit 
out of making something out of nothing. If you've read Genesis 1, you know that's true, right? God, from the very beginning, takes what is nothing and makes it into something. Another commentator commented on that and said, you know, our problem so much of the time is we're so consumed with being something that we're afraid to be nothing. We make ourselves unusable to God. What God's looking for is for us to acknowledge that we're nothing so that he can then make us something. So how, how do we do this? How do we live this out? This is the third thing that we see from this text. It's this, your king has you here to do what you are. And I know that's worded weird. I was emailing with George this past week, Pastor George, and, and I, he said, I think maybe your third point was a typo. And I said, I know it looks like that. I'm sorry, but I worded it that way on purpose so that it's awkward, so that I have to explain it. So here you go. We're going to explain it. What do we mean? I mean this. If you leave here today and you drive out, presumably down McAllen, you head up or you head down or wherever you go, you get on the highway or start heading into Mark. You're going to, at some point, you're going to see a billboard. A billboard that is promising you, you know, all, all joy that's ever been if you just buy this product or, or purchase this service, you know, whatever it happens to be. And the billboard serves its purpose. It functions by simply sitting there, just being, being what it is. By virtue of it being what it is, where it is placed, it serves its purpose. Now I see that hamburger and I realize how hungry I am and all of a sudden I want that hamburger because I've been made aware of it. I've seen it where it was. Look at verse 13 again. Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. You notice what Jesus does not say? Jesus does not say, work to become the salt. Work to become the light. Do enough good things. Speak enough good things. And then you'll be saltier. And then you'll be light. He says, you already are. I've already made you that. Just be what you already are. Do live out what you already are. Paul said, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. This is what we are. We've been born of God, adopted of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God. There is a world of difference between the hamster wheel of trying to live as a Christian, trying to do enough in order to earn my identity and saying, I know what God has made me and I'm just going to be that and live that out where he has placed me. Jesus says in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. In what same way? In the same way that a light is placed deliberately and on purpose where it's placed. See, the picture again is this. You're living in a day where there's no electricity and lamps cost money. You have to get oil to burn them. And so you, you need to think carefully about where it is that you place that lamp because you need it to cast as much light as possible and you're only going to burn it where and when necessary. Jesus is saying in the same way, which means this, wherever you are is exactly where the lamp placer wanted you to be placed. In this case, it happens to be Jesus himself. And friends, Jesus is not dumb. He didn't make a mistake when he placed you where you are. Sometimes we get so caught up on thinking about, well, I'm not a big enough light or bright enough light. There are spotlights 
of all kinds, street lights of all kinds, and there's those little tea lights. You buy like a hundred of them for a buck at Ikea or whatever it is. And it's like, man, sometimes we just think, I want to be that light, and we're so focused on that light over there that we realize, we forget that Jesus has just called you to be a tea light or whatever it is he's made you, just be that. Be that where he's placed you. Man, what am I supposed to do If you're in Christ and his spirit dwells in you, you know the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace. Friends, think about the news headlines you've seen this week and the world that we live in. And then think about this reality. This is, this is the spirit that God has made to dwell in us that we would manifest this love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you think that light would shine in our culture? Do you think that light would shine in this darkness? What about, what about just being present where you are? It's one thing to think about what I'm supposed to do, but where am I supposed to do it? Friends, again, you've been placed where you are on purpose. So... Here's one practical way I try to live this out sometimes, and sometimes it comes back to bite me because God actually uses it, and then I'm caught in these moments. But just wherever you are, if you're, you know, when the gyms open up, if you're back at the gym, if you're on the bus, if you're, you know, at work, sometimes it helps to just take your, take your AirPods out. Take your earbuds out and look at someone who's created in the image of God across from you and talk to them. Just ask them how they're doing. Start a conversation. If they are created in the image and likeness of God and you're supposed to be salt and light, be salt and light to the person that's sitting across from you right now. Just be who Christ has made you to be in the place where Christ, Christ has placed you. The call of Christ your king is not to go out and become something you're not. Go somewhere you're not to be something you're not, is be what he's made you to be where he's called you to be. What would it look like if we, as a church, went out into this world, into our neighborhoods, into our families, into our workplaces, and lived as light in the darkness? We lived as salt, rubbing up against all the Pride and the anger and the selfishness and the bitterness and the jealousy and the all the stuff we're seeing. I think some people wouldn't like it and they'd oppose us. And they'd try to run us down. But I think there's some weary travelers out there too who are looking for a place to call home. And I think they'd see and they'd come. We would live for the good of this world and for the glory of God, fulfilling the very purpose for which your king placed you here. Let's pray and ask Christ to make it so. Father, we want to be these people. We want to be a purposeful people.
people. We want to live for the reason that you have us here. So we pray, give us grace to be owned by the gospel, to delight in the good news that Jesus loved us and died for us and rose for us and prays for us, that you, the almighty God, have a purpose for our lives, a purpose for us waking up tomorrow morning. Father, we pray, use us. Fill us with conviction. Fill us with hope. Fill us with joy. Make us salt. And make us light, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.